0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to John. When it was evening of the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
1: This morning, uh, we are joining Christians uh, across the country, praying this prayer and bishop. Michael Curry, our presiding bishop, has commended it to us for for prayer. God of all power and love, we give thanks for your unfailing presence and the hope you provide in times of uncertainty and loss. Send your Holy Spirit to enkindle in us your holy fire. Revive us to live as Christ's body in the world. A people who pray, worship, learn, break bread, share life, heal neighbors, Bear good news, seek justice, rest, and grow in the Spirit. Wherever and however we gather, unite us in common prayer and send us in common mission that we and the whole creation may be restored and revived and renewed through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Karl Barth has said, is said to have said, a preacher should hold the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. In other words, that the proclamation of the gospel, if it does not have something to say about the joy and the pain of, of our days and of our lives, and the gospel has no power. As I was preparing for this sermon, there were three names that came to me. Ahmad Arbery, a young man who was killed while jogging. Christian Cooper, a young man who was a bird watcher who had uh, the police called on him for asking a woman to leash her dog in accordance with the rules so that he could enjoy his birding hobby. The woman, Amy Cooper, said to him, I am going to call the police and I'm going to tell them that a black man is threatening me. George Floyd man who was killed by a police officer while being arrested his crime writing a bad check these are the names that i have been reflecting upon in their stories while preparing for this sermon on pentecost pentecost is a major feast of the church it has its roots in the jewish celebration of the giving of law to the to moses it was a pilgrimage festival in which in which Jews from from around um, the globe would have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate. The book of Acts tells us that on this Sunday, this Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit descended upon the people, regardless of language or tribe or nation. The Holy Spirit descended upon them. It's a vision that is also captured in the book of Revelation, chapter 7. Revelation is a a, a letter that is written from a pastor to the church that is weary and tired and worried about the world around them and it is intended to give hope. John, writing this letter, says, After I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from every tribe and people and language, were standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. These visions that we find throughout Scripture in which God's purpose is to liberate and free God's creation from personal and systemic sin and injustice, The prophets who called Israel back time and time again to live in accordance with God's ways. And yet how often we have unheeded those words. Lest we think that this is somehow a new argument. St. Gregory of Nyssa writing in the 4th century some 1600 years ago reflected upon a passage within Song of Songs in which the author of Song of Songs talks about owning slaves and Gregory of Nyssa says this, God said, let us make humankind in our image and unlikeness. And if the slave, Gregory says, is in the likeness of God and shares in the ruling of the whole creation. And has been granted authority over everything on earth from God. Then who is the buyer? Who is the seller? Because to God alone belongs this power. And he says in some ways not even does it belong to God. Because God's gracious gifts are irrevocable. As it tells us in Romans 11. Let's be honest, being a Christian, living a Christian witness, living the Christian life is really difficult and really hard. Being a Christian is a little bit like being a fish who is living in water and knowing that, the way, that, the, that life in the water is not the way that it is always supposed to be that we have a primary citizenship in the kingdom of God and yet we live as an alien in another world and we are torn and pulled in many directions. Torn and pulled by the visions that are provided in scripture and tradition, the hope that is provided for us in our liturgy and our worship. But also torn and pulled And the stories that culture tells us about the way things really are supposed to be. And when you talk too much about justice, you're called and you're told that you're just being idolistic. Let's be honest, this is true of our American culture. The same framers who wrote that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those same framers who understood the power of the gifts that have been given to us by God also own slaves despite their own personal despite their own personal worries about whether it was just and whether it was moral. You see, the economic benefit of slavery to a new and fledgling nation was too powerful. A culture which had been steeped in its belief that African Americans were less than was too powerful for people's own sense of justice and righteousness to overcome. I have to admit that this morning I feel a similar sense of apprehension and anxiety about preaching on race this morning because that I know that some people will say, you're just being political. You're just causing problems. American Christians have long wrestled with the institution of slavery. Time and time again, American Christian governing bodies wrestled with this issue and the first instinct often was to reject slavery as an institution and yet the power of culture and the power of economic benefit all too often overruled those instincts christians were willing to abandon the vision set forth in scripture and tradition set forth in the prayers that we prayed. Our own Episcopal Church is not immune to this. Story goes that in the Diocese of New York, when the first African-American congregation was admitted to the diocese, the diocese would not allow that congregation to gather at convention because they said, well, they really won't know how to interact with us. They just won't fit in. Jamar Tisby, in his book, The Color of Compromise, partially traces back the American infatuation with accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior into your heart, back to this very question of slavery. You see, in England, if you baptized a slave, you had to free that slave because they said, how could you possibly own a brother or a sister in Christ? American Christians went a different direction, and faith became not as much about the transformation of society, but something that was accepted into our personal heart and mind, and so therefore we could baptize slaves, believing that it would make them better behaved and allowing us to continue to benefit and profit over those institutions. Even Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist preacher who preached about the seriousness of sin, despite his own personal worries about the institution of slavery, remained quiet and even participated in the owning of slaves. Because Jesus was not somebody who was to transform our life and our society but rather something to be domesticated so that we could feel good about ourselves rather than allowing Jesus' radical love and grace to transform a broken society. And maybe you're sitting there saying, well, you know, that was a long time ago. Wasn't that long ago that prominent Southern Baptist theologian Al Mohler said that Harriet Tubman was wrong for organizing the Underground Railroad because slaves should have obeyed the law and remained in slavery. Slavery was followed by Jim Crow laws, followed by the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, a Christian organization in which good people were members of separate but equal, red lines, discriminatory voting laws. Many of these advances were advocated, defended, and voted in by Christian men. And the fact that the church remains one of the most segregated institutions in society should be a mark of shame and a call to repentance and change. A few years ago, I ran into an Episcopal priest at a conference and we were talking about the power and the beauty of traditional worship. And he says, my only hesitancy is that when I hear Episcopalians say traditional, I think what they mean is white. He says, when you try to include The spirituals that are part of his tradition, he will often hear, well, that's not who we are. We're a traditional church. Now, does this mean that white Christians are inherently bad people? Absolutely not. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. We are fallen and broken people in need of redemption and forgiveness. And this begins with naming the sin that has enslaved us. We are told in scripture that the truth will set us free. And we need to tell the truth about race in America. And Christian complicity in advocating and building racist institutions. We're seeing the. The fruits of of this conflict um, in riots and looting that is going on in American cities and it breaks my heart. In no way do I condone or support those who pursue violent acts as a response to injustice. But I remember the words of Martin Luther King who also opposed violent protests but he also said that these Violent protests do not come up out of nothing. Rather, they are a result of the voices of the unheard. Like the Hebrews, as they were being freed from slavery in Egypt to go into the promised land, they took Egyptian silver and gold on their way out. American revolutionaries who were opposed to British tax policies through T into the Boston Harbor as a protest. Christians have to think about what narrative it is that drives us. What is the story that we want to live? Is it the story of Pentecost in which the Holy Spirit descends upon all people, regardless of language, tribe, or nation? Is it the vision of the book of Revelation of people who have been persecuted and forgotten that at the end of this great challenge every person from every language every tribe every race will be gathered around the throne so what is it that we can do right let's 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 name first and foremost that that Christ church like many churches is predominantly white Let us commit ourselves into changing that. We can listen to the experiences of our black brothers and sisters. What has life been like for them? I can remember a conversation I had with one of my brother clergy persons. I have never, ever been followed in a store while shopping and yet he has faced that indignity multiple times we can listen to their stories we can read black authors particularly black christian authors who have a unique insight into god's liberating work And finally, we can grieve, we can lament, we can pray, we can tell the truth, we can be open to the Spirit, open our eyes and our minds and our ears and our hearts. The truth will set us free. God's intention is for a healed and reconciled world. God's intention is for us to love one another. Let that vision capture us so that we are voices of change and transformation in a world that is hurting. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org and peace be with you.